0: Well if you have your Bible and we hope you do, why don't you open up to Second Chronicles chapter seven, and this morning we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 15 in a message entitled, "The Healing of a Nation." So make your way there to Second Chronicles chapter seven. And we will begin in verse 12, verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. And said to him, I have heard your prayer, and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. And when I shut up heaven, and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence amongst my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will forgive. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. Well, the big question of 19, I should say of 2021, excuse me, is are the best days of America behind us or are they still yet future? For many, they have resided themselves to a position of complete and utter despair. That the America that we once knew no longer exists. But with God, all things are possible. And with God, there's always reason to be optimistic. But that being said, Apart from God, I don't believe that there is any hope for the United States of America. Today we see many aspects of our nation going in the wrong direction. I don't have to make a strong argument to prove that to you. A nation that once uh, championed the position of freedom of religion today appears to have taken the position of freedom from religion. We have removed God from almost every aspect of our public gatherings, from our schools, sporting events, public places, and workplaces. There is a move in our nation to revise our history even further than it's already been revised. In fact, even changing the date of the birth of our nation from 1776 to 1619. We see the continued deterioration of our public schools, our politics, the justice system, and even corruption in our churches throughout America today. No longer can we trust the media that we relied on so much to tell us the truth and to keep our political uh, servants, and that's what they should be in a position of accountability. Just on Twitter, this uh, yesterday in fact, I saw two tweets that it was very difficult for me to read. The first of the two tweets was this. This gentleman, a Christian, a very prominent Christian author, he holds a prominent position at a very, very prestigious Christian school, and he stated that tomorrow is the perfect day to celebrate our nation, our freedoms, the founding of this nation, the constitution of this nation. And then he skipped a couple lines in his tweet and then concluded with this, as long as it is after church and not in church. Separating again the church's role within our nation's existence. Shortly after that, Another tweet came about, and it was a poll asking pastors and churches if they believe that it is proper to fly the American flag within the church. I don't think I have to explain where I stand. Let's fly it and fly it some more. Today we are teaching our kids in high school, grammar school, and college to hate the United States of America. I am perplexed when I hear the understanding that these students have of our nation being you know, propagated by professors who really hate our country in and of itself. We are not a perfect nation. We are not a perfect nation because we are not perfect people, right? We all agree with that. Our nation has a lot of room for improvement but I can't think of any other nation in the world that I would want to live. Amen. And I am so thankful that God put us here in the United States of America. We need a lot of attention and we need, a lot of, we need to improve in a lot of areas, but that improvement is not going to come by the abandonment of God. It's going to come by the embracing of God. And with all that is happening, people are in a state of confusion like I have personally never seen before in my life. They don't know who to believe or what to believe anymore, leaving them in a position of vulnerability. In that position of vulnerability, they can be, as the Bible would put it, tossed to and fro by every idea that comes down the line because we don't know anymore. We don't understand why the people who established this nation and the manner in which they did, why they did it. It's been so obscured. They don't understand the relationship between Christianity and the founding fathers of the United States of America. And because they don't understand these things, they don't understand the initial intent of the Constitution. They don't understand... The direction that the United States has gone has been a result of the fruitfulness of God within this nation. You know, the incredible things that we have done in and through this nation. I'm fascinated by our, by our space academy, NASA. I'm, I'm just absolutely fascinated by it. I love when I go to Florida hitting uh, NASA every time we go down there. But we put a man on the moon we did great things look at how personal computers developed by individuals that were given the opportunity to do so look at the technological advancements that we've made in so many areas of science because of the freedoms in which we enjoy the art that we have rendered the music that we have produced America has produced some of the best, the best, electric guitar players in the world. All right? And we're going to close with Jimi Hendrix's Star Spangled Banner today, because I feel it's appropriate. Let's be honest. It's incredible what has happened in and through this nation that is only 245 years old. Do you know that there are chapter divides in the Bible that are longer in time than the existence of the United States of America? Between the Old and New Testament, there are 400 years. America still hasn't reached that point. And yet so many things have been accomplished. Let's talk about the incredible churches that we have had throughout history. Let's talk about the incredible missions that we sent out throughout the entire world. God has done great things through the United States of America. Oh, and we have had our problems, and we have made bad decisions, and we definitely have room to improve in many areas. But again, is there any other nation in the world that you would prefer to live in? Today I want to talk about the healing of a nation. Because we are on the precipice of going in one of two directions. Either we're going to continue to slide down the slide that we are on and end up in a position uh, under the weight of God's judgment, or we are going to allow God to work in His church like never before. The United States of America most likely will never be conquered militarily, but like Rome, we will self decay from within. The famous writer William Durant wrote a book entitled Caesar and Christ, and he had this observation about the fall of Rome, and I quote, A great civilization is not conquered from without until it has first destroyed itself from within. The essential cause of Rome's decline lay in her people and in her moral failures." And that's what we see happening in the United States of America, the decay from within. Now, it would be easy to slip into a position of hopelessness and despair. It would be easy to weep over our nation's condition. And maybe we should do so in repentance and in prayer to God. But let me challenge you this morning by suggesting that I believe that it is possible that God is laying the greatest backdrop for the greatest work that he is yet going to do here in the United States of America. You see, with God, I can always be optimistic. I don't know which direction it is going to go, but with God, there's always the possibility of a great work that lie on the horizon. And I hope that to be true. We need to see a revival like never before here in the United States of America. Richard Owens Robert wrote an excellent book on the topic of revival and he quoted and defined revival in this way. Revival is an extraordinary movement of the Holy Spirit producing extraordinary results. Another author stated it this way. Revival is a community saturated with God. One of my favorite, A.W. Tozer, defined revival as which changes the moral climate of our community that's what we need in the united states of america and one of the reasons i am hopeful still even with all that is going around uh, going on around us is before that there was ever george washington there was another gw that preceded him that laid the foundations i believe for the great work of 1776. And of course, I'm talking about George Whitefield, who in 1742 led the first Great Awakening along with Jonathan Edwards throughout the United States, or at that time it was simply the colonies that existed. And from 1740 to 1742, they estimate that 25 to 50,000 people came to Jesus Christ. Now you say, wow, that is a small number. There's 330 million people in America today. Well, at the time in which this awakening occurred, there was only 300,000. And out of those 300,000, they estimate that 25 to 50,000 of them came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. It happened again after the establishment of the United States in 1790 all the way to 1840 with men like Charles Finney who went from East Coast to West Coast. And again, there was a great move of the Spirit. And people were getting saved throughout our country. And he didn't have access to Facebook or to Twitter to get the word out. During that time, sexual sin was rampant in the United States of America. And yet, he would have these rallies in the middle of woods and thousands of people would come to hear him speak and as we continue through the history of the united states we realize that a man in in new york city in 1857 to 1859 started a small prayer meeting there in the company in which he ran and there was just a handful of people That attended this prayer meeting, but shortly after that, there was a stock market crash that preceded the Great Depression. And as soon as the meeting, as soon as that stock market crash occurred, the meeting of New Yorkers began to overflow. And there were prayer meetings every day at lunchtime throughout the city of uh, uh, New York. Excuse me, theaters on Broadway were filled with Christians praying. And, the nation, and for the city and for the nation. And within six months, 10,000 people were gathering together daily for prayer in New York City. It has been reported that from this prayer meeting, that 50,000 New Yorkers were converted from a time of March to May of that year. And during that single year, the number of reported conversions through the country reached an average of 50,000 a week for a couple of years. And when it was all said and done, one million people came to faith. And this all began with a prayer meeting that Jeremiah Fear began in his little office building. God can do great things, extraordinary things through ordinary people. This church, I believe, was part of the last great revival here in America. It's called the Jesus Movement. It started in the 1960s, and Calvary chapels played a large role within that revival throughout the history, and they're still going strong today. We need another revival. We need the United States of America to be turned on its axis and allow God once again to work. But let me warn you at this point, if I may, there's another direction that we can go. And that is the continued suppression of God in every aspect of our daily existence. And if you read Romans 1 carefully, the suppression of God after a while, the knowledge of God, the intervention of God from a society, from the individual's life, will result in God giving that individual, giving that society over to their sin, bringing about the judgment that will occur. But I'd like to bring you back now to our text in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, if I may. It is a verse that is often used here in the United States of America. But in the context of the chapter, we clearly see that this is a promise that God has made to Solomon in the dedication of the temple in which has now been completed there in Jerusalem at that time. Solomon, of course built the temple uh, just succeeding his father as king god had instructed and orchestrated for him to do so david provided all the materials needed for the temple and in the wake of the completion of the temple a dedication ceremony was given and during that dedication ceremony solomon prayed a prayer in chapter six that you should read when you have an opportunity to do so And verse 14 of our text is a promise given to Solomon for the people of Israel. We cannot take this promise and unilaterally apply it to any country that contains Christians. The reason being is that we have seen faithful Christians throughout the world, throughout various countries and nations, under the wake of persecution, having no impact upon their country whatsoever and the political ramifications thereof. We see that in China today. The more the Chinese government tries to suppress the Christian church, you know what happens? The more it grows. The more people get saved. And there are churches throughout China that exist with simply seven to eight people and an individual uh, reading the scriptures, sometimes pages, of a text in which they have and this is church. However, though, this promise also, though for, therefore, has created the foundation for a principle that we find in the book of Proverbs that I believe we can ap- appropriately apply to the United States of America and to any nation. What we need is revival. There was a quote once stated, and I cannot find who... Uh, coined the phrase but the phrase is such that before kingdoms change men must change our nation is only going to change is as if the people change we need a revival to bring people about and to let them see the truth of god's word and then it will inevitably have an impact on the uh, future of our nation that's what we need to pray for that's what we need to seek We have a privilege under the Constitution in which we are governed by to allow our involvement in the political arena. And as Christians, we should take advantage of that blessing that God has given us. For so many Christians don't have that. That's why I think it's so important that we vote, that we write our political representatives, that we share our opinions and our expressions. Even if we feel as if they're going to continuously fall on deaf ears, we must make an attempt. If not so for ourselves, for our children. Knowing that what is being implemented throughout our nation today is going to further destroy our nation going forward. It's unbelievable to me what has happened to our educational system here in America. Everything can be discussed, everything can be talked about except the Bible. Throughout the United States of America, parents are rising up, challenging what is being presented to their children in public schools, all from critical race theory to some of the books that are being read. One district in Virginia is getting so bad, the Loudoun District, that parents are adamantly trying to reverse course. One woman began to read from a textbook that her high school student had been assigned, And it was nothing but pornography from the beginning to the end of the page in which she read. I'm saying it was nothing but pornography. She was stopped by the school board who stated to her, it is inappropriate for you to read that in public. Can you believe it? So she asked the question, the natural question, if it's inappropriate for me to read in public, why in the world is my daughter being subjected to it? There's no rationale anymore. We understand the agenda and the direction that things are going. And if we don't stand up, who will? Who will? But when we come to the promise made to Solomon here at this point, let us look at it together. It is clearly an answer to prayer. In verse 12, the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer. So there's no argument that God here is answering Solomon's prayer. That prayer is found in chapter 6. And I have myself chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. So it is the temple in which Solomon had built there in Jerusalem. God is now accepting it as his own. And then he states something very interesting that begs for context to help us understand it he says for when i shut up heaven and there is no rain and command the locusts to devour the land and to send pestilence among my people why in the world would god ever think this is necessary it's because god knew what was still yet going to be uh, happen and occur in the future of his people they were going to disobey his law they were going to turn their back on him they were going to go after other gods. They were going to do everything that he had told them not to do and suffer the consequences thereof. We have to understand that decisions that we make today affect the future of ourselves and of our nation. Today, our, politi- our politicians want to make decisions that seem to appease everybody at the moment, knowing full well that they probably will be out of office when the full ramification of those decisions takes place here in the United States of America. We have seen pieces of legislation passed over and over and over again, dated with implementation dates that clearly uh, are at points when that certain politician may or may not be in office any longer. That's not taking responsibility for the decisions in which you make. We as Christians have to understand that though we are not under the blessings and the curses of the Mosaic Covenant any longer, the New Testament says that what we sow we shall reap, right? That there are consequences to our actions. There are ramifications to our decisions. We need to be wise about the decisions that we make and the manner in which we Uh, Implement those decisions within our life. I remember reading an article shortly after the first wave of stimulus checks were sent throughout the United States of America. And our government was concerned and upset. You know why? Because the majority of Americans put those stimulus checks in their savings. How dare they? Really? Maybe it's because we're exercising a little bit more wisdom than we see them exercising. Maybe we saw that the future wasn't as bright as they made it seem to be. As we're being told today that the inflation that we see in our nation is transitory. It's going to, oh, it's going to end. It's going to dissipate. Now remember, these are the same people in 2008 that told us that the stock market was just in a correction. And it ended up in the Great Recession. Let's be honest. And by the way, the people who are implementing these New academic programs through our public school system are the same individuals that told us that Common Core was a good idea. How did that work out? Can we say train wreck? Okay? We need to take responsibility for the decisions in which we make. But then we come to verse 14. And he says to Solomon, Now, if my people, speaking of the Jewish people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will, and turn from their wickedness, I will hear them from heaven, and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. What sins is he referring to? Turn with me to chapter 6, if you will. It's not too far off. It's one chapter before. And notice with me, as Solomon is praying, and again, I'd encourage you to read this chapter on your own, but let's start in verse 22. Solomon is praying, and the whole idea of the prayer is asking God to inhabit the temple in which now has been completed on God's behalf. And then in verse 22, he begins a series of petitions, asking God specifically for his ear and his forgiveness. And so Solomon begins in verse 22. He says, If anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, bringing retribution on the wicked by bringing his way on his own head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. In verse 24, Notice again, if you will, he says, or if your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you and return and confess your name and pray and make supplications before you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land. Notice with me, if you will, in verse 26 then the heavens are when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you when they pray towards this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflicted them then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants and if you will look with me in verse 28 when there is famine in the land pestilence blight or mildew Locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness is there, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people, Israel, when each one knows his own burden and his own grief and spreads out his hand to this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of the sons of men, that they may fear you to walk in your ways as long as they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. And so on and on and on it goes. In verse 36, if you look there with me, you will find again when they sin against you. For there is no one who does not sin. And you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy. And they are taken and take them captivity to a land far or near. Yet when they come to themselves, when they realize what they have done, that's what he means in the land where they have, were carried captive and repent. And make supplications to you in the land of their captivity, saying, We have sinned and have done wrong and have committed wickedness. When they return to you with all of their heart and with all of their soul in the land of the captivity, where they have been carried captive, and pray towards their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, to toward the temple which I have built for your name. Then hear from heaven, your dwelling place, their prayers and their supplications and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, my God, he says, notice here in verse 40, I pray, let your eyes be open and let your ears be attentive to the prayers made in this place. And so verse 14 of chapter 7 is a direct response to what Solomon has prayed. When the people sin against you, can they come to this temple? Will you hear their repentance? Will you forgive them and heal them and the land in which they dwell? And he responds to them with this promise that is found again in verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, And turn from their wicked ways, then I will uh, hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, notice verse 15 in direct correlation with verse 40 of chapter 6. Now, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. So, it's a direct answer to the prayer in which Solomon offers God on behalf of the people. And this is the promise that is given to his people. That when my people come to their senses and realize that repentance is necessary, realize the sin and the wickedness that has occurred, if they come to this place, this temple, I will hear them, I will forgive them, and I will heal their land. And though Solomon was given this promise Specifically to be applied to the nation of Israel, a principle was birthed from it, found in the book of Proverbs, a book written to his children in hopes that they would learn from the wisdom in which he had gained over the years. Of course, the Bible tells us that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived, of course, apart from Jesus Christ. And he says in Proverbs 14, verse 34. For righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. We need righteousness, again, to reign freely here in the United States of America. Now, here's where it all comes to a, where the rubber hits the road. It all begins with you and me. It all begins with you and me if we are going to ask God to bring about revival here in the United States of America, it must begin in our own hearts. We as Christians must allow God to open our hearts before us and show us to see, as David prayed, if there be any wicked way within us. We must ask God if there's areas of our life that we haven't surrendered to the complete authority of His Word and His Spirit, If we want revival to take place here in the United States of America, we must position ourselves before God and allow God to bring about that revival in and through us. It's a sovereign work of God. But it must begin with us. Just as the Bible tells us that judgment begins in the house of God, and rightfully so, so shall revival. Revival begins with you and I. If we want to see another move like George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards or Charles Finney or Jeremiah Lamphere, it's up to us now to get right with God, to no longer allow the world to conform us into our image, but allow God's word through the spirit to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. It is that time now. If, if I could put it to you this way, we got to stop playing games, stop playing church. We've got to get right with God and allow God to use us full on for His glory and His purposes. Whatever that looks like and however that comes about. I believe that there's tremendous hope for the future of America, but it must begin in the church of America. If we are not going to take God seriously, how can we ask the world to take Him seriously? If I don't respect my wife in my marriage. How can I expect anyone else to respect my wife? It starts with us. So if you are here today and know that you have to bring sin before the Lord, maybe there's something in your heart and in your mind, something that you've suppressed, hidden behind closed doors, that you need to get right with God to allow you to fully enjoy the intimacy and the victory that he has provided for you in Jesus Christ I give you this this morning it's found in 1 john chapter uh, 1 verses 8 through 10 and john writes to us he says to all of us if we say that we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us but if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The great commentator J. Barton Payne wrote in his commentary when he said of these verses in Chronicles, he says, this is a great verse. The best known in all of the Chronicles expresses a as does no other in Scripture God's requirement for national blessing, whether in Solomon's land, in Ezra, or in our own. Those who believe must forsake their sin, turn from the life that is centered on self, and yield to God's word and will. Then, and only then, will heaven send revival to that land. The great commentator William MacDonald, one of my favorites, he wrote this. Notice that this expression that Solomon is given begins with my people. It starts and ends with us. The sentence as it continues forms what is probably the best known and the most loved verse in all the Chronicles. It expresses the stipulation that God lays down for a nation to experience his blessing. Whether that nation be Solomon's or someone else's, those who have been chosen to be his people must cease from their sins, turn from living lives of proud self-centeredness pray to the lord and yield their um, uh, desires to his word and his will on a daily basis then and only then will god again grant from heaven to those people the revival that they so seek and it all begins as solomon was instructed by us humbling ourselves we must humble ourselves before god we must be honest with ourselves We must be honest about sin within us that we are hiding or we are not dealing with. Greg Laurie wrote when he stated, If my people who are called by by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. You know, we all will point fingers, he states, and we will all say that it is the fault of liberals. It's the fault of Hollywood. It is the fault of Washington. The problem is in the White House. But God says, listen, the problem is in my house. The problem is in God's house. The problem is in our house, your house. That's where it all begins. James wrote it very clearly when he stated, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. James 4.10. But in that humility, we must pray. We must seek God's face. We must ask him to intervene and to heal our land, to bring about a revival of truth. Boy, what a, what a dangerous word today, isn't it? Did you ever think that you would live in a nation here in the United States of America where ideas could no longer be discussed Even if you adamantly uh, disagreed with someone, I was taught to always listen to their position. I didn't have to agree with it. I didn't have to affirm it. But I should give them the courtesy of listening to their opinion, to their idea. But today, now we're canceled, right? We're simply canceled because we're saying something that offends someone else. Is it possible to say anything without offending someone today? I'd like vanilla ice cream. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't choose mint chocolate chip. I'm offended. I'll be offended. Give me my ice cream. You know, there's a couple of classes in pastoral school I missed. So, uh, but it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible to me how we can no longer discuss ideas, especially in our college campuses. You can all be individuals as long as you conform to the overall meta-narrative that the university is laying down. This is not the America that I remember, but I'm going to tell you something. The cancel culture only demonstrates to to me the weakness of their position. Because if they cannot respond in an intelligent manner towards an objection I have to their position, it tells me that they do not have a response to uh, to that rebuttal. They don't have a response to that question. Or the answer that they would give me doesn't even satisfy themselves. And so it's therefore just simpler to cancel me altogether. I was listening to a Christian this week who was defending critical race theory. Now, that's a big subject. And depending on how you approach this subject, you can come to many uh, facets of conclusion. But let me say to you, the problem is that critical race theory and the way that it is being applied is two different things in our nation today, okay? Whatever the original intent was for critical theory is not translating to the implementation and the application of the manner in which it's being presented in universities across America today. Any philosophy student knows this. If you're a Christian, you understand that theology was given and then developed, and sometimes that theology, when applied, was applied improperly and given a whole new understanding or control or, you know, power, however you want to say it, in a form that wasn't initially meant to be. So anyways, he was defending it, and he said something. He says, it's time for Americans to understand that our Declaration and uh, Constitution include systematically racist sentences and words. Now, we understand that the Declaration of, and Independence and the Constitution were written in a period of American history. And I do not agree with everything that happened in that period of history. Slavery being one of them. I adamantly oppose it. But it, ref- it, re- you know, it reflects the culture. It reflects the culture, okay? What was the original intent of what they were trying to write should be the question. But if they're using this as an argument in dismantling the Constitution of the United States of America, how long is it going to be before they find that this book is ultimately systematically racist and should be canceled from our culture altogether? You know, it happened to Dr. Seuss, for Pete's sakes. Okay? In fact, they even tried to cancel Mark Twain's Huck Finn, which is opposing racism. There has to be a logical exchange. There has to be a dialogue. There has to be understanding. I get it. But understand when a piece of literary work is written, it's written to reflect the culture in the time that it was written in. And oh, by the way, I think that sometime afterwards, we fought a war in this country to eliminate slavery altogether, didn't we? It takes time. The problem isn't these documents and so forth, the problem is man's heart. That's the problem. You're never going to suppress racism by a cancel culture, by revising history. You have to deal with it by changing a person's heart to understand that every human being is created in the image of God. That's where it needs to change, right? I love America. We have a lot of room for improvement. We can improve every single day. But it starts with us. And as we pray and seek His face, we then must turn from our wickedness and God will look upon us and heal us. And that will begin the healing of our nation.